0: Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. How many know it's a good day to be in church? Come on, somebody. It's a good day. And, and it's a significant day as Christians all around the world, they are celebrating and commem- commemorating the final week of Jesus's life and ministry. We call it Holy Week. Some people call it Passion Week. The word passion comes from the a Latin word, which has a root in the meaning suffering. We know this is the time when Jesus came to suffer and die. But how many of you know that it didn't end there? He rose again on high. So it's a good day for us to be in church, to be able to unpack that season. Now remember, although today is Palm Sunday, this is just the beginning of Holy Week. Remember, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, a triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, it crescendos on Good, on, excuse me, Good Friday, he dies on the cross. Easter Sunday, he raises from the grave. Next Sunday is the conclusion of Holy Week and it concludes with Jesus' resurrection. We have four Easter services for you to pick from, Friday at seven, Sunday at 8 a.m. for the early risers who just have natural caffeine running through their body at all times. 9.30 and 11, please be sure to join us. But look, Easter is better with friends. So invite somebody, bring somebody with you, your coworkers, your neighbors, all your friends on Facebook, let it be known. Hey, how about that Amazon delivery guy? He comes to your house every day. You guys should be on a first name basis, invite him too. Look, listen and watch and see what God will do through your invitation to bring them to Easter. Wouldn't it be amazing if there's somebody in your sphere of influence who is far from God, when you invite them to Easter Sunday, they draw near to God. Someone who was lost is found, someone who is dead Comes to life because of the resurrection power of Jesus. Studies show that 80% of people, when given a personal invitation to come to church, they actually do. Conversely, there's a 0% chance of someone coming with you if we don't ask. So come on, church, let's mobilize, let's leverage our influence and see what God may do in and through the ministry of the Met Church. Today, is Palm Sunday. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that term, Palm Sunday. Woo! i got some serious saints at the 930 service. Well, whether you are very familiar with Palm Sunday or vaguely familiar, or maybe you've never heard that term before, my objective is the same for each and every one of us. And that's for us to discover the power of Palm Sunday. So look, if you are ready to unpack Palm Sunday. Just pick one, you got two, take your palm out, get somebody a high palm. Come on now, high palm it up. You ready to have some fun this morning? One, one of us, thank you, sir. You were so kind. I guess I'll stay and continue on with the message. So Palm Sunday is a story that is actually in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's not only Palm Sunday, all of Passion Week is actually presented in all four of the gospels, which just goes to show how significant and the amount of emphasis that the gospel writers placed not only on Palm Sunday, but all of Passion Week. Check this out. Two thirds of Matthew, three fifths of Mark, one fourth of Luke and over half of John are dedicated to telling the stories that transpired during Holy Week. I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. It's really significant. And today we're gonna hone in on Palm Sunday. Now, of all the four gospel presentations of Palm Sunday, there are some similarities. There are a few distinct, unique differences. So today I'm going to toggle between a couple of different gospels to highlight some of those details, which is just, man, it's exciting. I hope you are ready. So let's first take a look at Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 29. And the verses, of course, will be up on the screen for you to follow along. As he, that's Jesus, approached Bethage. And Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he, Jesus, sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. That's the offspring of a donkey. You'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. I'm gonna come back to that. Untie it, Jesus says, bring it here, bring it here. Oh, and and by the way, if anybody asks you, why are you untying that? Just say, The Lord needs it. So Jesus and his 12 disciples, like like most Jewish people within a certain circumference of, of geography with Jerusalem being the epicenter, they're traveling to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. And on their way, Jesus selects two of the disciples, which two, we don't know. It's kind of a mystery. He tells two of them to go into this very specific village, find a very specific cult for very specific purpose. Now, when I read the Bible, I try not to read into it. I want what's in the Bible to read into me, if you know what I'm saying. I want the Bible to interpret itself. However, God has given me a personality. God God has given you a personality. And I can't help but imagine, what would I do if I'm in this situation? I can't help but think about that. So I'm pretending I'm one of those two disciples and Jesus tells me and some other mysterious disciple to go into this town and do what he just described to do. If that's me, I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. Jesus is asking me to exercise my faith and do something a little uncomfortable and show some courage and boldness. Remember that time whenever he told us to take those, you know, a couple of fish and loaves, and we're supposed to just believe that we can feed thousands of people with that. Yeah, this is the same situation. So we're supposed to just go into this town. We're not familiar with, we don't know anybody there, just into this village. And we're supposed to find this very specific cult who's never been ridden before. Like, what's gonna happen? We go in there and just poof, there appears the cult, just like he said. And then we're just supposed to untie it and steal this cult. And if someone asks, what are you doing? We're just supposed to say, the Lord has need of it. it's kind of like when you speak in an English accent, everyone obliges. They go, okay, okay, he's legit. He's fine. Do what you need to do. As I was thinking about this story, I, I couldn't help but remember of the family trip that my, uh, my wife, my two kids, Adeline and Ainsley we went on last summer. We went to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and we decided to do a little outdoor um, kind, of, kind of things. We wanna do some outdoor activities. And uh, one of those things was to hike. We love hiking. And on one particular day, this is the highlight of our trip. We go on this 10 mile hike, five miles up to the zenith, the pinnacle of the mountain, five miles down. It's extraordinary, breathtaking. We're traversing over rivers, traversing. I've been watching too much Bear Grylls. We're traversing over the rivers. We're traveling through caverns. We're trekking up the mountain. We get there, we're exhausted, we're worn out, but we have enough strength to to do a selfie. You have to do that, right? So we take a selfie. And then as we're pivoting and about to head down the mountain, a couple of hikers from the opposite direction, just beyond the ridge, around the corner, they come to our direction. They pass us and they stop with a big grin on their face. And they say, you won't believe it. There is a mama black bear and her cub in a tree like just around there, around the corner. You got to check it out. And then they take off. And I'm thinking, I got to check this out. <laughs> Jessica and the kids, not as enthusiastic. In fact, I recall Jessica saying something like, okay, hold, hold on, hold on. I mean, like, what, what if it's like not just around the corner? What if it's actually a long way away? You're just going to leave us here by ourselves and I mean, we're going to be worried about you. We don't have our phones on us because there's no cell service. Like that's kind of scary. And then what happens if this goes wrong? What happens to the bear Decides that you, you're tasty because you're delicious. I'm just kidding. That's not what she said. What if, I wish you'd have said that. What if the bear decides to, to attack you? What, what are you going to do? Now, that was not unwarranted. I, I appreciated uh, that hesitation and that counsel, but this was my moment. Look, y'all, when I went to the Smoky Mountains, I, mean, I had heard a lot about Dolly Parton and black bears. And I was like, well, I'm probably not meeting Dolly Parton and I don't really care too much anyways, but I want to see a black bear. This was my chance. So I left caution to the wind and I did just as those hikers had explained. I went over the ridge around the corner. And what do you know? There is a black bear in this tree chomping away on some blackberries. It was amazing. I brought a picture to show you, here's what it is. There's me, of course. There's the black bear. And then there's this random lady. Now, notice this lady's closer to the black bear than I am. So I was, a little, I was a little nervous until I saw how close she was. And then I remembered the old saying, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to be faster than, than that lady. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not as athletic as I used to be, but I felt like I had pretty good chances of outrunning this lady. Now, unfortunately, it's not really easy to tell that that's a, that's a bear. I mean, some of you are going, oh, that looks like a trash bag, like a black trash bag that kind of blew away. And you're making the story up. No, 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 here's the good news. The good news is, is that I actually... To my surprise, I asked that black bear if he'd just hop on down, take a selfie with me. He obliged. Here's, here it is right here. There it is. <laughs> it's incredible. So there's me, my bear selfie, just to prove this actually happened. To my surprise, it was exactly as the hikers described, right around the corner. I'd never been there before. There's a black bear. That sounds kind of random. Sure enough, that's what happened. Just as it did with the disciples. What did Jesus say? He said, I want you to go into that specific village. You're gonna find a specific cult who's never been ridden before. And, and you're going to untie it. And if challenged, what are you gonna say? You're gonna say, the Lord needs it. Now the word Lord in the Greek here is kurios, kurios. It means owner, possessor, sovereign one, mighty God. So Jesus is emphatically saying, if anybody asks you why you're taking this donkey, you say God needs it. And BT dubs, I own everything, including this donkey, just as he said it would, there was a donkey. Now that begs the question, why did Jesus need a donkey in the first place? That seems a little bit random and obscure, doesn't it? One of the beautiful things about scripture is that even the most obscure, random, overlooked details in the Bible have deep, profound meaning. That's why it's important for us when we read the Bible, that we, we take our time, we dig a little bit deeper. Don't just read it at face value. Read it again. Read it again. Get a good commentary. Listen to other educated voices that can help you unpack scripture and it will come to life. This detail was very, very significant. Over 500 years before this event took place, Zechariah, a prophet, he predicted this very event with absolute precision and certainty. Take a look at this. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, Zechariah says, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. But what kind? On a colt, the foal of a donkey. What's the power of Palm Sunday? Point number one, it's about the fulfillment of prophecy. Prophecy fulfilled. Get this, Bible scholars suggest there's over 300 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, all of which came to pass. Over 300. This is just one of them. Now, there was this um, mathematician named Dr. Peter Stoner, and he, he lived in the early, mid uh, 1900s. In 1960, he set out on a mission along with over 600 other researchers. So you know that this, the results were not biased. Over 600 other researchers who also, they operated in the field of mathematics and probability. They had one mission and that was this. They wanted to test the veracity and the probability that these Old Testament prophecies, all of which came to pass, that they actually came to pass. In other words, he's saying, okay, I, I recognize that 300 prophecies all happened. Okay, that seems unlikely. What's the probability that these prophecies would actually happen as they did? One of their many conclusions, here's just one of them. He looked at eight Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, just eight of them. And what the likelihood would be for them to come to pass as they did. And here was his conclusion. That would be one and 10 to the 17th power. That's one with 17 zeros after it. That's the probability of only eight of the 300 prophecies actually happening as they did. Let me illustrate it further. That is like if you were to take a coin or coins, maybe maybe a quarter, and you were to spread them across every single inch of the surface of the state of Texas. And not only that, you stacked them too high. And then you picked up one of those coins, gave it a unique mark, marking, got into a helicopter, flew around Texas indiscriminately, and then at one point in time decided to, flick that coin out of the helicopter and let it land wherever it may. And then a person who is unrelated to the experiment is then asked to put on a blindfold, pick whatever spot in Texas they want to roam around in, and then at their choosing, bend down and pick up a coin. The odds of them picking up the one mark coin is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's the probability of only eight of the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus actually happening. When in reality, 300 actually came to pass. Palm Sunday is powerful because it shows the fulfillment of prophecy. Really, only this one so far. Absolutely incredible, the reliability of scripture. Look, I don't don't have to base my faith in Jesus on Bill's theology, although it's sound. I don't have to base my faith in Jesus on what I've heard a TV evangelist, or what I've heard you know, my, my friends say at the water cooler, or, or what I've heard at kids church. I can base my faith on the reliability, the veracity, the, the certainty of scripture. So what is Palm Sunday? It's about prophecy being fulfilled. Jesus rode in on a donkey to fulfill an ancient prophecy. But not only that, woo, it's about to get good. Maybe even better. Jesus is a king. He is undisputed world champ, king of all kings. So why, why did God in his sovereignty, why did he select a donkey to be the animal Jesus rode in on? He could have chosen any animal, right? I mean, he, he created all the animals, both the anteater and the aardvark, and all those weird creatures. He created every single animal. Why did God in his sovereignty tell Zechariah, to prophesy that Jesus would ride in on a donkey. It seems like there'd be an animal outside of a donkey that'd be a little bit more fitting for the King of Kings, wouldn't you think? How many of you guys have seen Aladdin? Don't even be ashamed to say you've seen Aladdin. It's like one of the greatest movies of all time. Well, Aladdin, if you remember, he wants to impress uh, the princess. Princess Jasmine. And so what do he do? He uses one of his wishes. He tells Jeannie, hey, I need you to to transform me into a prince and I'm gonna make my arrival uh, in the town. And it's gotta be a spectacle. And so what happens? He's Prince Ali Ababwa. And what does he ride in on? An elephant. Now that's what a prince, that's what a king rides in on. A big, strong, exotic animal that's hard to find, hard to tame. That seems to be fitting for a supreme ruler like Jesus. Not a donkey. Why not a horse? We have some people uh, that train horses in our church, people that own horses, and they know very well. Horses are majestic, they are beautiful, they are strong. Horses are ones that are, are an animal of of royalty, of might, of prestige and power. That seems fitting for Jesus. Let's modernize it a little bit. Anytime a hero or uh, someone of great stature like a president or a foreign dignitary. Anytime they would roll into a town, they would do so in very impressive fashion, right? They'd fly in on a private jet or they would ride in on a limo or maybe a a fancy convertible with an entourage flanking them, marching along the way. That would make more sense for them to show up in an impressive impressive way. Not Jesus. He rode in on a lowly, unimpressive beast of burden. Why? Yes, to fulfill prophecy. Okay, now catch this, but also to reveal purpose. Jesus' purpose was revealed when he rode in on this donkey. In ancient times, a king would have both a donkey and a horse in its royal stable. And only the king was allowed to ride these animals. Only the king, which is why Jesus said, you need to find a donkey's colt that's never been ridden before. Because if anybody has sat on that, it's not worthy of me. This has to be a donkey that's never been ridden because that's the king's donkey. And it's only suitable for me, the king of all kings. So there's a donkey and a horse, both of which are in the stable of a king. And the king would use each animal for a very specific purpose. Anytime a king would ride into a town on a horse, that communicated to the nation they're in a time of war. But anytime a king would ride into town on a donkey, it communicated that they were in a time of peace. Jesus rode in on a donkey, his triumphant entry to emphatically say, "'I have come to bring you peace.'" Oh, I love Colossians 1:19. Listen to what it says, "'For God, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus, the Prince of Peace was born for this purpose. And that is to bring us peace. That that was the reason. Jesus came to live the life God intended for us to live, a life of sinless Perfection. However, we've, we have fallen short of that standard. So Jesus lived up to that standard. And then Jesus was lifted up on a cross to make the payment for our sins, canceling out our debt. So that though we were enemies with God, we could become friends of God. He defeated sin and death by raising from the grave. So we too could both defeat sin on this side of eternity and defeat death on that side of eternity. That's why Jesus rode on a donkey because he's bringing us peace. Is it possible that Jesus may be the missing piece to your peace? You need peace in your mind? You need peace in your marriage? Peace in your relationships? Maybe with a prodigal son or daughter? You need peace in your pocketbook? Peace on your pillow? I'm here to tell you, only Jesus can be that peace for you. He's the Prince of Peace. He rode in on a donkey, but remember I said, every king has both a donkey and a horse. The first time Jesus came, his first advent, first time he came and was announced as a king, he rode in on a donkey saying, I'm here to bring you peace. Jesus is coming back a second time. And the second time Jesus comes back, he's not riding a lowly donkey. He's riding a high horse, air horse one. He's coming back on the clouds. Revelation 19 says, he's not coming for peace. He's coming for war. He's coming to vanquish his enemies and he is going to establish his throne, which is on top of both justice and righteousness. And then there will be peace for a thousand years called the millennial reign. It's amazing how glorious that day will be. But back to Palm Sunday. Let's pick up a Matthew chapter 21. Verse six, the disciples went ahead and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their coats on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Why'd they do that? Anytime you would take off your garments, you would lay them on the ground. That was a way to show the person who would tread on them that you are, you're submitting. You're, I, I'm submitting to you, I honor you. Now, if you are a parent in the house today, I'm going to imagine you can identify with at least a part of this. How many of you have lots of cloaks laying around all over the floor? By cloaks, I mean pants and undies. You know what I'm talking about? They used to bother me, guys. Used to bother me a lot when they'd be close. Laying all over the floor. Like these messy kids, I mean, they are just trying to get on my nerves and upset me. And then I read this passage. I'm like, no, 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 no. They're trying to honor me. They're trying to submit to me. So when I see those clothes, I just, I'm here. Stomp all over those clothes. They're bringing us honor, parents. No one's believing that. They leave their cloaks on the road while others, here we go, cut branches from the trees. Now the gospel of John gives us a little bit of detail here. He says, these these weren't just any branches. These were palm branches. Cuts palm branches from the trees and they spread them on the road and they're, they're waving them as well. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, here's what they do. They shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What a joyous day that was. People lining the streets and they're throwing their their clothes on the ground to make a red carpet of sorts for Jesus to tread on. And, And they're waving palm branches and they're lifting their hands in the air and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the word Hosanna means save now. This is a refrain from Psalm 118. They're saying, save now, rescue us now. Save us now, Jesus. Not, not tomorrow, right now. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, I need you. Save us, Lord. And I don't care who knows it. Hosanna. They were desperate for a savior and they didn't care who was watching. Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That all happened on Palm Sunday. It was like Jesus's public coronation. It was a, a major pivot point in Jesus's ministry. If you remember... Up until this point in time, Jesus's ministry was kind of covert. Um, he did things a little bit quietly, a little bit covertly, uh, secretly. Uh, if you remember anytime he would perform a miracle or do something that draw a lot of attention, oftentimes the people that were there, especially someone who received healing or some sort of miracle, he would tell them, shh, shh, shh keep that down. Don't go tell anybody about this. Don't, don't, don't go blabbing. Keep, keep it down. Keep it quiet. Why? My time has not yet come. The time for the son of man to be handed over to evil human beings and be lifted up on a cross that has not come yet. You see, Jesus is never too early. He's never too late. I don't know what you're waiting on right now. I'm, I'm just telling you, God's got it. He, he's. He's perfect in His timing. He's sovereign. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees you where you are right now. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. Just, Just be patient with Him and worship while you're waiting. Jesus said, shh, don't tell anybody right now because there is a time when I'm not gonna say shh. I'm gonna say, come on, shout it out. But that time hasn't come yet until now. Palm Sunday, was the time where he made a public announcement on behalf of the lips of the people that the king has come. It's fanfare. Fit for a king. And the Pharisees, they blew a gasket. Oh, M, goodness, they lost their minds. They were livid at what they had just seen transpire. Remember the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders. These are the ones who took the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and, and they carried it out and added a lot of other extra hurdles and burdens to the point where now it's hypocritical and it's just the whole thing is falling apart. And now Jesus, the rabbi comes and he's kind of getting more attention. They feel a little bit jealous. And so they're trying to undermine Jesus at every single step. They're the naysayers. They're the, they're, they're the religious people. Look, God, God, God is so kind to sinners to win them to him, but he, he is very, very intentional about calling out religious people who are more concerned about behavior than they are about heart transformation. So he calls them, he calls them out after the Pharisees first call him out. Listen to what happens in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, you better do something. You better rebuke your disciples. Tell them them to get quiet. Shut it down, Jesus, shut it down. Here's what Jesus says. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees demanded that Jesus put an end to all this because in their minds, this was blasphemy in the highest order. Not only were people praising Jesus, Jesus is receiving their praise. So the Pharisees made their demands. Tell tell them to stop Jesus. And Jesus, he heard their demands and then made demands of his own. What did he demand? He demanded praise. What's Palm Sunday? Prophecy fulfilled, purpose revealed, praise demanded. Jesus said, even if the crowds go silent, these rocks over here, they'll start shouting they'll start shouting my praises. It's a little bit of proverbial speech Jesus is using. What he's essentially saying is, it's more impossible, catch this, it's more impossible for my people to stop praising than it is for these rocks to start praising. It's more impossible for the redeemed of the Lord to stop giving me thanks for my goodness than it is for these rocks who were not purchased at the price of my blood, these rocks who don't have a soul, these rocks who don't have an eternal destiny to start praising. Praise was demanded. When things that are created worship Jesus, they're doing what they were created to do. God's people worshiping Jesus is as natural as Tom Brady throwing a football. Hopefully he's enjoying his retirement. It's natural for us to praise Jesus. And and, and he, he demands it. Listen to Philippians 2, 10 through 11. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. In this crowd of people, there are two different types. There are those who are shouting with joy and there are those who are shouting with contempt. But one thing is true of them all. They all had an opinion of Jesus. Matthew 21 verse 10 presents this to us. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, okay, so now now the fanfare has ended. He's now in Jerusalem. The whole city, the whole city, not just the suburbs, not just the inner city, not just renters, not just owners, not just people who reside in Jerusalem and not just the people who are passing through for Passover, the whole city, what, what, what? They were stirred and they asked, who is this? Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The whole whole city was stirred up by Jesus. Um, Every single person was affected by Jesus. They, they all had an opinion of, of Jesus. Listen, Palm Sunday forced the people to come to terms with who Jesus is. It was true for them then, it's true for us today. Palm Sunday demands that we come to terms with who is Jesus. Back then, there were lots of opinions, just like there are today. Some people said, oh, Jesus, he's a friend of sinners. Uh, Jesus, he... He's a drunk, Jesus, he's possessed by a demon. I mean, he's doing some really miraculous things, but we're going to attribute it to a demon instead of to a, the deity named, named God. Uh, some people said, you know what? He's actually a good teacher. He, he's he's like a prophet of God. I mean, God speaks through him. Uh, some people said, he's, he's uh, John the Baptist. He's the second coming of Elijah. And then very few rightly said, no, 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 no. And no, no, I, I see it now, I see it now. The, the Holy Spirit has... Lifted the veil from my eyes, and I, I see it now. Okay, Jesus is the one Isaiah prophesied about seven hundred years before in Isaiah fifty-three that He'd be the suffering servant. Oh, okay, okay, I see it. Daniel, uh, the, the, you know the people's prophet, when Daniel prophesied that there would be a Messiah who would be cut off from the nations, he, he would he would die. Okay. That's Jesus, John. When John said, behold the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Okay, this is the lamb of God. Oh, think about this for a second. Josephus, the historian. He said that there was this one point in time, whenever a a census was taken of the number of lambs that was brought to the Passover to be sacrificed. He said that one census concluded there were 256,000 lambs being brought to Jerusalem for the Passover. Imagine this, this, this imagery that Jesus on Palm Sunday is riding in with all this fanfare, all this acclaim. And then there's also a couple hundred thousand lambs being brought to the temple of which Jesus is the greatest one. Some people rightly said, this is the lamb of God. Everyone had an opinion of Jesus. So here's my question. What's your opinion of Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is this? Who is Jesus to you? Nothing is more consequential in life than how we respond, not by giving lip service, but from the core conviction of our heart. Who is Jesus to you? Don't miss it. Please don't miss it. The people on Palm Sunday missed it. They missed it. Yes. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. But their idea of what Jesus came to save them from was the opposite of what Jesus came to save them from. The people, they wanted Jesus to conquer Rome, but Jesus came to conquer sin. They allowed their own expectation of Jesus to cause them to miss who he really was. They didn't want a Messiah who came to liberate them from sin and death. They want a Messiah who was like a, a military, a general. They, they want a military Messiah. They wanted John Wick Jesus, Jean-Claude van Jesus. They wanted somebody to come into Jerusalem and start wreaking havoc and crushing skulls and by any means necessary. They had twisted motives and selfish ambition that caused them to miss completely that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the savior of what's wrong with our hearts. The very same people, this is tragic. The very same people who showed up early in the week to shout Hosanna, showed up late in the week to shout crucify him. The very same people who gave him palms on Sunday, gave him thorns on Friday. Why? Because once they realized that Jesus isn't as Depeche Mode once saying a personal Jesus, that he's whoever you want him to be. Once they realize that Jesus has not come to follow us, but he's come so we may follow him. Now I'm out. The same is true today. There are people who say, well, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe what the Bible says. I love Jesus. So long as he endorses my desires, my dreams, my decision, my identity, but oh, I will recoil, I will reject a Jesus who expects me to repent, to commit, and to obey. Don't miss it. Who's the real Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a quick fix, Jesus, quick fix? Whenever I get in trouble, like I don't really come to Jesus, but man, when I made a mess, Lord, clean it up, do it quickly. Is he an accessory Jesus? Like I only, I only represent him when it fits my certain situation or when I'm around certain people. I'm just kind of an accessory Jesus. Is he supplemental Jesus? Like I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna live a steady diet of worldliness, but occasionally pop a Jesus pill. That's kind of like, it's kind of like if you say, you know, I'm on a steady diet of cheeseburgers and onion rings. Oh, but don't get me wrong. I'm at, I, I, you know, I take super beats. Balance of nature. Yeah, I think a little bit of that and I expect a clean bill of health. Next time I go to the doctor, no. Jesus is not supplemental to life. Jesus is the source of life. He's not just my my savior on Sunday. He's Messiah on Monday. He's teacher on Tuesday. He's living water on Wednesday. He's on his throne on Thursday. He's faithful friend on Friday and he's sanctifier on Saturday. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Who is Jesus? Is he only Lord when he's doing what I expect him to do? Or is he Lord even ever he doesn't? If his death on the cross for my sin, the cancellation of my debt, if that was the last and only thing Jesus ever did for me, would he still be worthy of my devotion? Would he still be worthy of my praise? There's a lot of lessons we can learn from a donkey ride in there. E.K. Chesterton, he's a a poet and a writer in the late 1800s. And he wrote this poem about this very donkey, this Palm Sunday donkey. And he wrote it from the perspective of the donkeys. If the donkey was aware of what was transpiring on Palm Sunday, I wanna read it to you and then then we'll close. Here's what it says. This is from the donkey's perspective. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorns, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked wills, starved scores deride me. I'm dumb. I keep my secrets still, fools. For I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms beneath my feet. Be amazing that Donkey was actually aware of the weight of that moment. That that this donkey was selected by the sovereign God for the purpose of carrying Jesus into Jerusalem. That the only ride this donkey would ever give would be to the Lord Most High the savior of the world, that even though he's not much to look at, even though he's pitied by people, looked down upon, that he recognized that his greatest act of service was to that of the Messiah, that he has purpose, that the Lord engineered every single moment of his life for this expressed purpose, to support, to lift up and serve God Almighty. Here's what I believe. I believe just as God engineered that donkey for that purpose, God has engineered you for a purpose. And it's not a purpose that's self-seeking. It's not a purpose to expand your kingdom. It's a purpose to seek after Jesus with all your heart. It's to build his kingdom. God knows you're coming, he knows you're going. He knows you're waking up, you're lying down. He knows the thoughts before you think them, the words before you say them. He knows everything about you and he loves you. We're mistaken. It wasn't wasn't the thorns that held Jesus on a cross. It was his love for you. And that that Jesus on Palm Sunday who rode in as king, he died as king, he rose again as king, And he wants to crown you with glory and offer you an opportunity to share in that glory, to have a relationship with him that will bring vitality and life right now for you and eternal life later. What an amazing gift called grace that all of us can receive and walk in confidently today. Jesus went into Jerusalem and he wept. It's one of two times in the Bible we know Jesus wept. You know why he wept? He wept because he knew the people in Jerusalem would reject him. Please don't reject him. Who is Jesus to you? Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that we know who we are to you, that we are purchased at the price of the blood of your son, that we are chosen, that we are given newness of life, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are ambassadors, that we are friends of yours, not by our own merit, not by anything we've done by no means, but by everything that you did on the cross. You died and rose again to purchase our freedom, our salvation. When is that day? Today's the day. If there's anybody in this room right now that can't confidently say to the question, who is Jesus? He is Lord and Savior of my life. I pray today they make that decision. They respond to your Holy Spirit. Say, Jesus, I invite you in. I know I've sinned. I believe you died for me and rose again, come into my heart. I follow you. I don't know everything about everything, but I know this one thing. And that's Jesus, your Lord from now on, I'll follow you. If there's anyone in this room that maybe has just forgotten, they've, they've lost that, that, first love they had, that will be reinvigorated. They'll be renewed. Their, their faith will be strengthened. They'll say, okay, today it's not when I'm saved. It's today is when I'm recommitting. Today is whenever I'm going to get back into fellowship with you, Lord, because that's where life is found. And Father, I pray over all of our Easter services that people will come to know you and they use us as a church to expand your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.